And welcome everybody, you are listening to the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast on this Tuesday, August 25th, Alex Savage Project back again. I may sound a little drowsy because I have a bit of allergies, but that won't stop me from doing this episode. So our topics on the day, Darius Slayton is dealing with an injury, of course, that could be a result to some of the new drills that Joe Judge has introduced with some live tackling. We'll talk about that. Roster bubble series. Who is on the roster bubble? If you follow my Twitter, you should know that I said a couple of days ago, if you follow my 247NYG account from last year, I did a roster bubble series basically pinpointing the players on the roster bubble last season, why, and my predictions for them. So that we're also going to talk about with the candidate for today. Also could be publishing some on your sports articles based on that series because just next Saturday, not this Saturday, is roster cuts. And we are getting that close to the season, folks. It's almost here. And then, of course, I'll talk about the Atlanta Braves preview. We'll take a look at the probables there. And we'll see the stats and everything else. And I'll lead you guys through it to the end of the episode. This portion of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast is brought to you by AltoDoWithGaming.com. Save 30% off with the promo code BIGBLUE30. Get all your monitors, gaming headsets, gaming chairs, gaming lights, and more at alltodowithgaming.com. Don't get ripped off by GameStop and other big stores. Just go to alltodowithgaming.com now. So Monday, apparently, Darius Slayton missed practice with an apparent injury. He missed two and a half hours and was sitting on the side. Also, just a couple of remarks as well. Ryan Connolly and Xavier McKinney, Corey Coleman also sat out for the scrimmage on Friday. Obviously, we're going to have another scrimmage on Friday, this Friday as well. And apparently, that could be on tape delay for NBC for New York. If you live in the Jersey area or the New York area, you get NBC for New York. Apparently, there's going to be a tape delay, and they will actually show the scrimmage games. And what's really stupid, in my opinion, is that the NFL is gouging money from these networks. Now, I'm not saying that... NBC doesn't gouge money. No, I'm not going to say that. I don't really know their situation everything, but NBC for New York has to pay NFL the same amount of money as they would for a preseason game, which doesn't make any sense because there's no fans and just no other teams. So I really don't understand. And there's other points to make on that, but I just don't understand why they have to pay as much as a preseason game. But that's what the NFL is going to do in the next couple years because they need to make up money for this. So let's get into this topic about Darius Slayton, and I only heard it from one outlet that was on Instagram. I think it was like G-Men Season or something, if you haven't already, go follow them, of course. But Darius Slayton apparently sat out Monday's practice with an apparent injury about two and a half hours. He was on the side with the trainers. So everybody is saying, oh, is Joe Judge's new drills with the tackling, are they safe in the long run because all of these players getting hurt? Obviously, Xavier McKinney, Corey Coleman, Ryan Connolly, those guys were on the sideline for the scrimmage game. Hopefully, they're not in the next scrimmage, which is actually going to be at MetLife Stadium. So, I will be looking forward to watch that on tape delay in a couple of days, and I'll definitely record it because I know I will be away. But, going back to my point earlier, those guys were out. I don't know necessarily... If it was due to the tackling drill, I know Corey Ballantyne got hurt because of that. Cody Core, it was a different situation because he was just running around towards ACL, and unfortunately, he's on IR for the rest of the season. But we do need to watch with Slayton, though, because he did have an injury last year where he missed most of training camp, 
and then went back into week three and played against the Bengals, got hurt again, and we didn't see him till week three in the regular season. So that's something the Giants will have to monitor very closely. But everybody's talking about, are these drills safe? Are these drills not safe? Do they need to refix the drills or at least do some new drills that do have tackling but not as egregious as what Judge implements right now? But there are positives and negatives to this. Here's a positive. Joe Judge is implementing a drill that has almost to real-life tackling. And the past couple seasons, the Giants have not been good at tackling. Curtis Riley, 2018. You know the story behind that. Assumingly. Assumingly. If you don't know the story, I suggest you look it up because he had the highest missed tackle percentage on the Giants in 2018. But overall, missed tackling has been a big problem for the Giants in the last couple seasons. I will say that. And... Even if you don't know analytics, even if you don't know stats, even if you're just a football fan that's a Giant fan, and you've been watching this team lose the last couple years, tackling has been an issue. Tackling has been an issue in the run game, yards after the catch, passing, whatever you want to associate it with, but it's been a problem. The negative to this drill is basically that if you get to real-life tackling, or at least more towards real-life tackling, that players' injuries could be higher risks. Darius Slate and Corey Ballantyne, they're prime examples. So, there isn't a middle here. I don't know if there is or there isn't. But, someone brought it up. And I kind of like this idea. You would kind of want to limit the time that you're doing it, but you still want to do that drill. Because, again, the pros, the Giants haven't been able to tackle in the last couple seasons. It's good practice. But then again, players are risking themselves getting injured. So, maybe limit the time. That's the only middle I could find right now unless somebody else comes up with something else and they would be good to come up with something but the Giants would probably not listen to them because why would they take it from a fan? But a medium is what you're looking for if you're Joe Judge in the organization saying, okay, we have to address this, player injuries, but it helps them tackle. So it's really a middle-middle situation here that you have to work towards if you're Judge and the special team staff and also the defensive staff because they're the ones tackling but also the offensive staff because you're the ones getting tackled so it's not necessarily just defense and special teams it's offense as well but to end this topic most likely you want to find a middle middle don't get players injured but also you want to keep tackling in the case that it's not breaking the cba and it's also helping the players play nasty and just getting down and at least getting some part of the tackling skill set going. But to go to the next subject, we are doing the Roster Bubble Series. Drumroll, please. Today's candidate is Wayne Gallman, the running back. Okay, so why is he on the Roster Bubble? Wayne Gallman was supposed to be the original Giants back, if you know, before Saquon Barkley was drafted in 2018. That changed with Barkley being drafted. So, Gallman had to compete for a running back spot in 2018 with Jonathan Stewart, Rutgers UDFA Robert Martin, and Vikings running back Jarrell Presley. After being a viable backup in 2018, though we got less yardage, he was still ready to compete for a training camp spot and a roster spot in 2019. So, he competed with Elijah Penny, Rutgers UDFA John Hilleman, and former Cowboys running back Rod Smith. Now, if you notice a the theme here, the Giants tried getting rid of him from the running back two position. They signed Jonathan Stewart, and then they signed Rod Smith. 
Obviously, those two didn't work out, and I'm going to get to that now. With Smith getting injured and cut, Gallman was given another chance at running back two. That would be a short-term thing, however. Once Saquon Barkley got injured versus the Buccaneers, Gallman was slated to be the running back one against the Redskins. Backing him up was Rutgers UDFA John Hillman. Gallman later scored two touchdowns versus the Redskins that day, one receiving and one rushing. Now everything seemed to go well before Gaultman got a concussion against the Vikings and he was taken out of the game. Jonathan Hillman and Eli Penny filled in, which was not a sight to see. Gaultman sat out the next couple of games. He returned for a slight role in the next couple of weeks, but unfortunately he only rushed once against the Jets and the Bears and caught one reception each against the Lions and the Jets. Now unfortunately, Wayne Gallman fell out of favor from this Giants coaching staff, it was the Sherman regime, and once Javorius Allen, the former Raven, was signed, he fell to the bottom of the depth chart. From the Monday Night Football game against the Philadelphia Eagles on, Wayne Gallman remained inactive for every game from then on until week 17. Now, let's ask ourselves, how can Wayne Gallman make this roster? In this version of Giants training camp, Gallman enters a competition with Austrian running back Sandra Pluscomer, Deion Lewis, the former Super Bowl champion for the New England Patriots, Elijah Penny, the fullback, and Javon Leak, the running back, undrafted free agent out of Maryland. Saquon Barkley, pending injuries, obviously slated to be the number one running back. Now, Javon Leak has a kick return ability and also had seven yards per carry each year at Maryland. Deion Lewis has veteran and Super Bowl experience, as I just mentioned. Now, Gallman hasn't been... A star in camp, but he's impressed so far, and Elijah Penny has as well. He received a lot of endorsements from Burton Burns, the running back coach. The coach that previously coached some running backs at Alabama for about 10 years. Now, what else he needs to do? He needs to get endorsement from more coaches. He needs Joe Judge's word. He needs Jason Garrett's word. He needs Burton Burns' word. While performing running back expendable duties. What does that mean? Catching passes out of the backfield running for more yards than expected to, getting those extra yards on the ground that he has to find if the offensive line doesn't give him it. Maybe find himself expendable as a punt returner or kick returner. I mean, he has it in the last couple of years, but maybe he finds a new home there. The pass receiving, the endorsements, the extra yards in training camp, and the impressiveness is what could help him leap over Javon Leak in the final 53 competition. Now, what are my predictions? Drum roll, please. Wayne Gallman makes the final 53. Yes, I said it. Wayne Gallman makes the final 53. Gets another crack at it, in my opinion. Now, I think it's going to be one of these situations where they keep him on the 53, and he's the number three running back. If they don't like him, at some point in the season, they could just cut him. Because his contract, his rookie contract, isn't a lot of money. It's 825k if I'm doing my research to be exact. Now, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. And in that situation where they could possibly actually have him make the final 53 and put Javon Leak on the practice squad, someone else might pick him up. When the waiver wire happens, a lot of teams like other UDFAs from other teams. Some team might pick him up, make him part of the running back duo, contribute on a special team, something like that. That's why... Putting Javon Leak on the practice squad is a problem. And the Giants could risk it. They could also not risk it and put him on the roster. Depends how much they like this guy. But I know Dave Gettleman, if he gets cut, would try to put him on the practice squad. And we'll see what happens from there. But honestly, I have Goldman making the final 53. I think he gets another crack at it. But again, 
Giants don't like him. A couple weeks in, they could cut him, put him on the waiver wire, and some other team might pick him up because I actually think he's not that better of a back as everybody thinks he is. So I will be coming out with more Roster Bubble articles, Instagram posts, or something else. I definitely will be doing something with the Roster Bubble because, remember, next Saturday, not this Saturday, next Saturday is the roster cutdowns. And on Friday, I will be making my roster predictions. So it is going to be a very good episode on Friday. I think I might be going away next week. So I'll see if I'll be putting out an episode or not next week. But in that case, I'll probably put out the roster predictions on Friday. Now, before we get to the Braves preview, there are rumors swirling around that are saying the Yankees are interested in Zach Plezak, Mike Clevenger. Now, if you don't know, before I get to the Lindor topic and the other topics as well, Mike Clevenger and Zach Plezak got in trouble because they were wandering around in Cleveland and they weren't supposed to by team rules because of all the COVID restrictions that are putting out by teams ever since the Marlins outbreak and the Phillies outbreak and all those other outbreaks that happened in the MLB. So that's just something to look for there as well, meaning the backstory of why the Indians might want to get rid of them. I don't think that they would want to get rid of them, but I also don't think that they wouldn't if they're getting something valuable back. Now, everybody is reporting that they're also interested in Francisco Lindor. Let me tell you something. We're not getting Francisco Lindor. A lot of Indian fans would quit if they give up Francisco Lindor. And for the Yankees standpoint, I'm a guy that says, hey, look, trust your minor league system, trust your farm system, and then see what's out there on the trade market. That's how I've always been. I was never for officially the J-Hap trade. I wasn't for the Jaime Garcia trade. I wasn't for the Lance Lynn trade because I'm like, hey, we got to look in the system. But also the players we traded away could be good ones. I mean, I like Tyler Austin. I'm going to be honest here. Lance Lynn, he wasn't that bad with us, but he wasn't a Cy Young Award winner. Obviously, everybody remembers the Andrew McCutcheon trade. I did not like that one bit because McCutcheon only had his prime in Pittsburgh. Now he's in Philly. So obviously, they'll see what they could work with him there. Now, for the Yankees, do you want to give up a lot of value for Lindor, Clevenger, or possibly even Plezak? Because you need pitching right now. You need pitching. Tanaka, his last start wasn't too good, and I'll get to it in the Braves preview. Paxton has been all over the place, and he's on the IL now. Reason why reports are coming up about Lindor is because Glaber Torres hasn't been good at shortstop lately, but you would have to give up a lot in either case. Plezak, probably the least. Lindor, probably the most. Now, you'd probably be looking to give up Michael King, Davey Garcia, Clint Frazier, Estevan Florial, and some other prospects. And we know from before that Cashman likes giving up prospects for the big-name guys, and I'm going to tell you a problem with that. It's a lot of spoiled Yankee fans, and it's also something about payroll and the big-name guys. Now, spoiled Yankee fans be like, oh, Glaber doesn't work out at shortstop, let's trade for Lindor. No, because if you're a Yankees fan, and even if you're part of the Yankees organization, you're going to have to pay Lindor long-term. You're still thinking about other contracts like possibly Aaron Judge, and more contracts than that. So there's no salary cap, so it's going to be under the spending of the New York Yankees in this situation, and maybe prices will go up in tickets and revenue and that stuff with jerseys and all that. And don't get me wrong, Francisco Lindor is a good player. He's a great player, actually. Great player, shortstop, you know, could be a long-term option if a team was to trade for him. But 
Let the Glaber Torres thing play out a little longer. If he doesn't work out, put him in another position and maybe put Tyler Wade at shortstop. I'm tired of the Yankee fans, some of them, being like, after like maybe one situation, oh, Glaber Torres doesn't work out. Okay, let's trade for Lindor. Because you don't know how much you're giving up in that trade. And MLB Network, the other day, came out this trade that Glaber Torres to the Indians and another pitcher or another person for Francisco Lindor. And obviously comes out later that the Yankees are interested in him. Do I believe that? Yes and no. But I don't think the Yankees have given up on Torres yet because this is not a good year for him at shortstop starting out. But would they give up prospects to get pitching for the short term and the long term? Yeah, I believe that because they've done it for Paxton. They've done it for Lance Lynn. They've done it for Jaime Garcia. They've done it for pitchers in the past and hitters in the past. That's what the Yankees like to do. They did it in the Edwin Encarnacion trade also. And look how that worked out. I don't know how the prospects are in the Seattle system, but Edwin Encarnacion was a complete bust because he struck out a lot and he hit home runs every 65 at bats. So don't even get me started with that trade. But my point is, do I see the Yankees going after Lindor? Possibly, but it's not very likely. Pitching? Clevenger? Plezak? Yeah, I see them going after them. And would they give up prospects? Maybe Cliff Frazier? I don't see Cliff Frazier right now because why would you trade him back to the team that traded him to you, number one? Number two, he's playing good in the outfield right now. And if the Yankees don't believe he's a part of the future, then I'm sorry. I know he had attitude issues in the past or whatever, but also, you have an asset that could be back up in the outfield, and some of the other options haven't worked out so far. But I do definitely see they would give up a lot of young pitchers, maybe Michael King, Davey Garcia. As I mentioned earlier, I do see them giving up prospects for pitching. They've done it in the past, and I don't leave it out in the future that they can't do it now. Alright, so the last topic today, we're going to talk about probables for tonight's game and probables for tomorrow's game. So tonight we have Ian Anderson versus Garrett Cole. Ian Anderson is actually making his MLB debut for the Atlanta Braves. He was in Gwinnett last season and also their AA affiliate. And obviously Garrett Cole coming off a no decision, which was a loss for the Yankees last time out against the Rays. And then tomorrow we got Masahiro Tanaka against Max Freed. Max Freed is probably their best pitcher right now ever since Mike Soroka went down. Tanaka got his first decision last time as he lost against the Tampa Bay Rays. He really struggled. And picked up his first loss of the season, which was actually his first decision. And it was actually full workload this time because they've been limiting his workload over the first couple of his starts. And then they just went full-blown here. But obviously, he allowed five runs and not good for the Yankees. Not good at all. But hopefully, the Brave series is another series. So, I'm going to take a look at Ian Anderson's stats from Gwynn and the AA affiliate of the Braves, which is the Mississippi Braves. So, when he was in Mississippi last year in the AA system, he went 7-5, 2.68 ERA, 21 games started. One complete game, that's surprising, 111 innings pitched, 82 hits, 38 runs, 33 of them earned, 8 home runs, 2 hit batters, 47 walks, 1 intentionally walk batter, 147 strikeouts, which is really good, and a 202 batting average against. Now, when he went to Gwent, he struggled a little bit. He had a 1-2 record, 6.57 ERA, 5 games started, 24.2 innings pitched, 23 hits, 18 runs, 18 earned, 5 homers, no hit batters, 18 walks, 25 strikeouts, and a 2.42 average against. So, obviously, the batting average against stayed very good when it came to the opposing teams hitting against them. So, that's 
That's a good thing for Ian Anderson, but he's going up to the big leagues now. He's going to be versing the Yankees, so it's going to be a very different image for him. And he might have to control himself a little bit because we obviously saw the ERA jump from a 2.68 to a 6.57 when he switched from AA to AAA. So we'll see what he does tonight. Here are Garrett Cole's stats on the year. So last time out, he obviously had a no decision, and the Yankees lost that game. Zach Britton, to be exact, but let's take a look at some of his stats on the year. Now, some of these haven't changed. Some of them have, so just keep an eye out. 4-0 record, 2.75 ERA, 6 games started, 1 complete game. Obviously, that was the Washington game. 36 innings pitched, 26 hits, 11 runs, 11 earned, 7 homers, 6 walks, 44 strikeouts, 1 hit by pitch and 139 batters face. Now let's take a look at his last start against the Rays, which Britain lost, and he got a no decision. Garrett Cole went six and two-thirds, six hits, two earned runs, one walk, 10 Ks, and two homers. Obviously, 109 pitches about two-thirds the way into the seventh inning, and they took him out. They put in Zach Britton, and obviously, he gave up the two runs in the eighth inning. The next inning, Britton, and he lost the game. Yankees offense couldn't come back. So those are the stats for both pitchers. Ian Anderson obviously didn't have a last time out because the minor leagues have been shut down this season. And he didn't pitch in the big leagues at all. So we'll see him today for the first time and we'll see what he does. Garrett Cole, we obviously know what he's like. Obviously, he hasn't been the super dominant pitcher, but he's been very good and he's been the best pitcher on our staff so far. That's really helping us. So let's take a look at Max Fried's stats. As I mentioned, he's probably the best pitcher on the staff right now. Since Mike Soroka has gone down, he's 4-0, just like Garrett Cole. 1.32 ERA, 6 games started, 34 innings pitched, 22 hits, 5 earned runs, 11 walks, 33 strikeouts, 2 hit batters, and 131 batters faced. Now he faced the Phillies the last time, let's check out his stats there. Freed had 5 innings pitched, 5 hits, 1 earned run, 2 walks, 5 Ks, 91 pitches in the 5th inning, so it's not really... The pitch count that you want to have in the fifth inning, or at least going five innings, you always want to go out for like a sixth inning or a seventh inning, depending on how you're pitching. He didn't pitch that bad here. He didn't pitch dominant, but he didn't pitch that bad here. Obviously, he got the win because the offense held them up and the pitching really stabilized what his start looked like. Now, let's jump over to Masahiro Tanaka, his stats on the year. He is 0-1. 4.60 ERA, 4 games started, 15.2 innings pitched, 18 hits, 10 runs, 8 earned, 3 homers, 3 walks, 13 strikeouts, 67 batters faced. Now let's take a look at his stats the last time out against the Tampa Bay Rays. Obviously, as I mentioned, he did struggle. 4 innings pitched, 8 hits, 6 runs, 5 earned, 2 Ks, 2 homers, that being to Michael Perez and Brandon Lowe, and 71 pitches. So, with the 71 pitches, again, like Max Freed in the 5th inning with 91 pitches, that's not really a pitch count you want to be at, but it's also not unexpected if you are struggling. They took him out and put in Nick Nelson, and then him and Sessa finished the game without giving up a run, which was a good thing. But unfortunately, the Yankees lost that game. So, let's take a look at his stats. He actually pitched against the Braves a while back. He had four innings pitched, five hits, two earned runs, two walks, three Ks, one homer. That was obviously to Johan Camargo. And then at the bottom of that inning, actually, Clint Frazier and Gary Sanchez hit home runs to tie the game. Yankees obviously went on to win the game, and he got a no decision because he didn't pitch five innings. Jonathan Loizaga instead got the win. 
No runs allowed the rest of the game except for Jonathan Holder, that one run in the ninth inning. But obviously still the Yankees won that game. But we know from before how Atlanta can be. Good offense, good pitching, sometimes that flip-flops and everything else, and the mistakes get to them, and the opposing offense scores some runs. So that wraps up this episode of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast, episode 39. We're already at 39. We were at 20 before, we were at 10, and then we came out with our first episode. Thank you guys for listening and supporting our podcast available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, and CastBox. Soon to be Amazon Music, as I mentioned, I've yet to actually receive a confirmation thing saying that our thing is on Amazon Music as well. Follow our social media pages at Big Blue in the Bronx on Instagram and Twitter. Remember, I am coming up with my Roster Bubble series on Instagram. I'm probably going to be writing an article or two about it on onyorksports.com. Go follow them on Twitter. I head their page and also follow them on Instagram where they have over 2,000 followers. But we have a Mets preview coming Friday and roster predictions, so it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun, and of course, the scrimmage is Friday. We'll get to see that on tape delay on Saturday, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, thank you guys for supporting, and we will see you on Friday.